Welcome to People of Purpose, a podcast series of interviews with people doing meaningful work and living with heart. The series is hosted by Joanna Scott, and guests come from nearly every field you can imagine. People of Purpose sits under the website MakeDo Co. For more content, visit wearemakedo.com.au. Despite what you might think, Dresden, Sydney-made sunglasses and specs, was not founded by someone with a background in the sector, but by two frustrated glasses wearers, Jason McDermott and Bruce Jeffries. The pair's story starts like this. Here's where we impress the pants off you with all our past experience in optics. Except we didn't have any. Zilch. Dresden comes at things differently, from the same place as you. Our founders are two frustrated glasses wearers because, let's face it, glasses are annoying. Dresden aims to provide affordable, durable and interchangeable glasses. Using a Germanic design sense and manufactured here in Australia, Dresden optics are not only well-designed and nice-looking, but sustainable too. They were recently awarded the Sustainable Innovation Award by Marrickville Council for their work in reusing plastic waste in their products. Jason joins me today. Jason, welcome to People of Purpose. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Unlike most businesses, if someone described your product as rubbish, you wouldn't be offended because some of your frames are made of rubbish. Can you tell us about Dresden's recycled frames? Yeah, I think there was a blog post uh, about this recently, so talking about how the glasses are literally made from rubbish. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. When we started Dresden, we initially got excited by the idea that you could turn almost any kind of plastic into something useful. Um, and so far, uh, we've been able to prove some of that. It's really exciting. Um, we've been making glasses out of milk bottle tops and keg lids or keg caps, um, as well as other random rubbish plastics for a little while now. And it's, it's kind of phenomenal. As soon as you start down this path, it's like, um, it's like a slippery slope type situation <laughs> where you discover uh, there are all these plastics that are otherwise going in the bin or into recycling streams or... Um, you know, not even uh, something that you're not even aware of mm. um, that are potentially useful to be uh, turned into glasses or other other useful products. And what makes some plastic useful and some plastic not usable in this sense? Uh, in terms of virgin plastics, it comes down to their um, material properties, things like their flexural modulus and uh, their rigidity. These are factors you want to look at. Uh, when it comes to recycled plastics, it there's a very uh, wide range of factors involved things like how well they've been um, preserved if they've been lying on a beach for instance or if Mm -hmm. they've been uh, in your house Um, what type of plastic they are each plastic has different properties uh, again Um, some of them are more flexible some of them are more rigid Um, things like polystyrene polystyrene is really bad for a a pair of glasses because it will uh, it will um, shear which can be bad uh, especially if it happens whilst you're wearing them. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's a, a range of different uh, factors involved in uh, determining whether something's going to be good or not. Um, but then if you think about it from an environmental point of view, uh, there are other factors like does this plastic have an existing waste stream already set up? Um, and that's why for us we're looking into uh, expanding into more of these unusual plastics mm-hmm. that at the moment don't have, uh, that don't have a yellow bin solution. Right. So the milk bottle tops, they were a great thing to get started. Everybody knows what a milk bottle top is. It's sort of around you. It's at the cafes. It's in your, it's in your uh, fridge. Um, but the milk bottle tops already have a pre-existing recycling stream, the yellow bins. Sure. So it was a good starting point, but we're very quickly moving on to 
you know, other interesting plastics like nylons that don't have a recycling um, system set up for them already. Wow. And so how do you, is it just a matter of playing around with the material and testing if it works and testing if it meets your standards? What's the process for doing that? Yeah, we, uh, we very early on decided that we wanted to have um, sort of a 50-50 approach in terms of um, producing frames and uh, doing um, prototype recycling pro- projects. So we would have, <clears throat> we would have a, a base range of, of glasses frames that are made from a really high quality plastic. Uh, that's our starting point. But we would also have time, attention, resources devoted to finding the next wave or the next waves of plastics that we could introduce. And um, luckily we have local manufacturing partners that are willing to go along that ride mm. with us and have a lot of expertise and experience doing work with uh, various types of plastics. So in collaboration with them, we can test out a new plastic. We can just turn up to the factory with a big bag of something and and put it through. And sometimes it's really smelly. Right. Sometimes it's uh, really messy. Interesting. And uh, sometimes it takes a day to go from nothing to something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that process is really, uh, really valuable for us because we learn so much in the process of taking a plastic and trying to put it into our mold Mm. Um, and we also get we get some really exciting things as a result you know from from day one to where we are today we've been able to produce a wide range of interesting plastic frames and uh, we love every minute of it that's so amazing and it sounds like just by doing it that's really the only way you've got to where you are you can't this hasn't been this process of well we have to know completely what's going to happen until we um, move forward with it it's like let's just make and do and see what happens yeah it's the reality of manufacturing and <clears throat> and it even comes down to things like making modifications to the tool as as great as prototyping tools are and as great as um, visualization prototyping uh, technologies can be like 3d printing nothing really gives you the result um, like the result you know mm. the real the real mm. product tells you so much and um it's even true with things like um with testing you you cannot you cannot easily simulate how a um how a nylon frame will respond to 12 hours of being left in a a bucket of water Mm. you simply can't do that without doing it without doing it Mm. yeah so let's go to your grander vision you've said that recycling plastics in this way and turning them to a product is one step in in this grander scheme of a gigantic problem. Um, it's this blog post you talked about, and I was reading your views on this. And you were saying, you know, this can be daunting for even the most idealistic person. So for you, it's important just to start and to take small steps towards um, having some impact in this problem. What kind of difference are you hoping to achieve long-term through this initiative? Um, I think at, at some point we will run out of plastics in the world to recycle. Mm. That's a, that's our that's our big vision. We wow. will have cleaned up the world, and there will no longer be uh, rubbish plastics floating around, clogging up our waterways, um, uh, polluting our environment. That w- that's the bigger vision. That's amazing. Um, I'm going to read actually a, a, an excerpt from that blog. You said, "Still, the bigger goal, the one we're working towards every day, is a new environmental reality, an ecosystem unclogged of the harmful and persistent plastics that society consumes, like it's going out of fashion." And I love this idea of a new environmental reality as though some of the problems we face now will be a distant bad memory. And that's such a positive, exciting way to look at the world as opposed to getting weighed down with the potential of of what what may be happening to the planet. Um, But this involves 
companies like you um, doing manufacturing products in a different way, but also it, it means that we as consumers have to change our behaviours. What do you see as a catalyst for changing behaviours around this over-consuming of products? I think it's super useful as, a, as an entrepreneur to have a big audacious goal, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Um, so for us, it, it motivates us on a daily basis. It's the, in a, in a sense, it's the fuel that keeps us going and it will continue to long into the future. In terms of the consumer, um, I think it's actually, it's an opportunity that we face right now to take a proactive step in being better environmental stewards. Um, there will be some pain along the way, you know, some sacrifices may need to be made. Um, <clears throat> but I think at the moment, well, at least the response we're getting from our, uh, our community is that people are really engaged with the prospect of doing something proactive to change the situation, to not just accept the status quo. Um, things like spotting opportunities for plastics to have second lives it's it's been phenomenal just how just how well our um, our customers have responded to that, um, and if anything, they they hold us to task. Mm. They they make sure that we are living up to the the promise of, of what we speak, um, and I think that's really important. Uh, for for far too long, plastics have been seen as a single use item mm. uh, when it comes to packaging, when it comes to um, all sorts of bottles. Um, the way that you might use a, a plastic product once and just throw it out uh, almost without thought is uh, sort of mind-boggling. And I, I do think if you fast forward a uh, hundred years or more into the future, we'll all be long gone. And the people of that time will look back on, on us as kind of being drunk with, uh, with plastic, kind of yeah. uh, not really realizing the, the, scape, the scale and scope of the problem that we're creating. Mm. Um, <clears throat> So for us, we see it as, as a great motivating driver. Uh, the, the faster we can get to this new environmental reality, the better. Uh, whether or not Dresden will be the only uh, reason why we reach it, who knows? But it, it really does, it galvanizes us, it pushes us forward. And the more, um, the more we do these little experiments and see a small um, proof of concept, the better. You know, instead, of having, instead of having to go from zero to the moon, from the ground to the moon in one go, yeah. we, we take it in little steps and it's uh, it's really exciting. Which in itself is a more practical way of doing it. And, you know, really, is there any other way? I think a lot of people do want to go from zero to the moon, have these grand visions, but in reality, you know, you guys are doing a lot. You're addressing a problem, but you're also running a business. Um, and that alone, you know, both of those things are big challenges in itself. But I think what you pointed out just there, the fact that your customers hold you to task on this is really important for where I see the world changing because I think right now it's almost seen as a challenge for businesses to do the right thing in quotation marks Um, but in time ones that aren't I think it's going to be very hard for them to exist as as profitable businesses because I, I believe that a lot of customers just aren't going to stand for those kinds of damaging practices. Um, so I'd like to go to the sort of business side of the of, of Dresden, and uh, let's start with your partnership with Bruce Jeffries. How did you guys meet, and then how did you start to work together? Um, actually, it was quite a, a similar situation to this conversation right here, right now. Um, through one of my colleagues at UTS, Joanne Jakovic, uh, she had put together a bit of a uh, professional practice meets 
um, marketing, startups, uh, entrepreneurial um, course for the architecture students in the master's course. And Bruce was one of the invited um, speakers uh, during that course. And he was, he was a bright light amongst uh, a, a very healthy crowd. Um, and I reached out to him afterwards uh, and invited him to come on my podcast, which was essentially talking uh, with entrepreneurial people who had built something interesting of their own. And I wanted to get his story, the go-get story, having, um, having had that company for around a decade uh, at that point. Turns out that uh, when I went to meet with Bruce to interview him, uh, he decided that it was more interesting to interview me. <laughs> so about an hour later, we still hadn't started recording. We still hadn't started the podcast. Wow. And, uh, and I realized that something weird was happening, which was actually I was being interviewed myself. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Hmm. And uh, obviously he saw something in me. Go figure. And uh, we started working almost immediately after that. Um, wow. And it was, it was a really, to step back again, at that point in time in my life, I was casting my net far and wide, trying to find the thing that would be my next career move. Mm. Uh, I had studied architecture. I'd worked as a, an architect for a little bit. Um, and I had uh, worked at an engineering firm. I'd done a bit of travel and I was sort of in a freelance, um, startup-y world. I'd, I was working at Fishburners, meeting all these interesting people. And in a sense, I was a bit of a wantrepreneur. You know, I really, I really had <laughs> the it. desire yeah. uh, to be involved in this, um, in this industry, which is about creating something um, that matters, uh, both in terms of a financial return and... Um, yeah, in a societal change or in an environmental change or in a cultural shift. And I really, I really believed in all that. So I meet Bruce, someone who's, who's been there, done that. Mm. Uh, and with a company like GoGet, uh, it, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing achievement. And uh, yeah, so we just started working together. And, and he had been, like I said, at, at the end of a decade of running a company, all of these ideas had uh, been uh, sort of... Uh, festering in his mind you know what what would be the next step for him um, and it was just really fortuitous timing that we met each other I love this I'm so interested in this kind of circumstance because I think for people who are looking to follow a path that aligns to their values there's this I found personally and in, in conversations with many people there's this sense of following your own heart um, believing in yourself, taking action, all your own effort. And then there's this sense of just trusting that you'll meet the right person at the right time. And I think just hearing your story there, it's very, it's a bit of both for you. You know, you were putting yourself out there, but at the same time, Bruce sort of came out of the blue and, and now you guys are working together. I think that's quite amazing. Mm, mm. I think you, you can never know when you're going to meet that influential person mm. that's going to really propel you into something new. Um, and if you have your blinkers on, <clears throat> if you have, you know, a career that you're dedicated to, uh, you may miss opportunities like this. You may find that uh, you you benefit from that. So if, if I was uh, an accountant, you know, and I was dedicated to the practice and I was going to uh, own my own company and, and employ people and, and solve people's accounting issues, you know, go away, Bruce. I'm not interested <laughs> in your wild harebrained schemes. Um, <clears throat> but for me as a creative person, as someone who's, uh, always, I suppose I always felt that there was something in me, something big in me. Never really knew what it was. Mm. Um, 
being open to chance encounters and opportunities really has uh, been beneficial. And it's, it's sort of a hard medicine to, uh, to prescribe, be open to opportunities. Uh, how do you really follow that and action it? Um, but it, it really does come down to, I think, being uh, open to new opportunities, being willing to put yourself out there and uh, fail, mm. um, and having a little bit of uh, get up and go and willingness to work hard. Because I think if you put in the effort, sometimes the, the rewards are there. Um, and also uh, with, with, the, with Bruce, you know, we both actually missed the date that we were supposed to do the interview. Oh, no way. <laughs> a week later, he calls me and says, aren't we supposed to be doing an interview? And I said, uh, sure, yeah, we are, uh, even though it was actually a I'm week earlier. And I got there an hour later and we did wow. the interview. So, yeah, a little bit of luck goes a long way. Yeah. And is that an attitude you've consciously had or is it more that that's the way you being are? Being disorganized, sure. <laughs> Not being disorganized, but uh, these these qualities of being open. Yeah, so that's something you've said. I, I want to I maintain this attitude to life. Well, I, I don't know if it was that explicit um, a thought. I, I think um, I'm a little bit freewheeling, which has gone a long way. Um, so I think I've, I've certainly benefited from being open to um, new ideas and not trying to shut them down or, mm. or to, to have them prove themselves before they're ready. Um, when you go through a degree like architecture, often the, the dumb ideas prove themselves right and the really well thought through, uh, highly planned, um, project managed ideas tend to fall flat. Oh, so interesting. And it's, it's sort of, I struggled through the architecture degree. I didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, <laughs> and often, you know, walked away from a, a tutorial more confused than when I arrived. Mm. And so I think at, at some point, maybe you just learn that you, you really need to go with the flow and, uh, and it'll take you places better than what you thought originally, mm. uh, which is, I think, a, a good thing uh, in, in practice. So, yeah, it, it, can take you, it can take you to places better than you can imagine yourself. <laughs> also, I love collaborating. Mm. Uh, I'm very rarely a lone wolf when it comes to doing uh, creative projects. Uh, I've made artworks for, for Vivid a number of years running, and that was with cool. two, um, two industrial designers slash um, amazing dudes. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've, I've started a software company doing um, iOS apps that was yeah. with another guy who, um, who's an artist, a long, long, uh, long-standing creative artist in, um, in Australia. I, I think I just thrive in, in a team environment. Gosh, that sounds so boring, doesn't it? <laughs> I really thrive in a team environment where I can bounce off ideas and, and you never know what someone's going to say and that's mm, going to take mm. you somewhere new. So already we're getting a sense of the different backgrounds that you and Bruce have. He was this... Um, entrepreneur had had s- several successful businesses you're very creative um, dedicated your life to doing these kinds of projects like vivid I mean this is this is all amazing how did you and Bru- like what sort of different skills did you guys bring and how do they complement each other and how do, how do you work together I think in the beginning <clears throat> uh, the beginning it was a case of Bruce having incredible ideas and uh, a real will to make them come to life um, but not necessarily the time uh, or maybe even the ability to, to do the things that needed to be done to make them real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was young, um, I had all the time in the world, and uh, I was looking for a creative project to dedicate myself to. So we had a few sort of candidate projects that we were working on in tandem. It took the world in a similar direction, uh, despite being different tactically. 
Um, so the way we were working together initially was uh, Bruce would share a new idea that he had with me, um, almost like drip feeding me little uh, concepts that he'd been dreaming of for years. And it was uh, our responsibility shared together to make them real. Uh, and I would, I would do design things. I would meet with people and talk to them about uh, what the idea meant and how it could be um, brought into life. Um, mm. And since then, uh, with Dresden, it, it's a shared responsibility. We've built up a team of uh, really rock star um, performers, all of whom don't come from the eyewear industry. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the only people who come from the eyewear industry are our optometrists. Mm-hmm. And even then, we've had to find optometrists that are willing to look outside the box um, and think creatively about what an eyewear company can be mm. and how, um, how we translate that into uh, services, into experiences, into uh, the product and how we deliver that. Um, and so I, I, wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that either Bruce or I are explicitly responsible for any one piece of Dresden as it stands today. Um, but if we if we wind the clock back two years, I think the, the 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 single piece of impact and influence that I had at the time was finding an industrial designer who could work with us to make a design for the frames. And once we had that, it really was the ball was rolling, and Man. there was nothing that could stop it. That's so cool. And so let's talk about your design system. <coughs> it's based on German German design sense. I'm not sure if it's an actual um, system that you found elsewhere, or if it's more just the sort of Style? It's a philosophy. Philosophy. Cool. Tell us more about that. Uh, I think in, uh, in many aspects of what we've done with Dresden, there's a sense of, of a meeting of minds, as silly as that might sound, uh, where we think it's, it's about a, a Germanic approach to things meeting an Australian approach to things. So, for example, um, we, we speak very clearly, but we also speak really um, uh, casually. So the, the clarity of, of words that we choose, um, the transparency and honesty that we bring, the minimalism in terms of materi- materials that we use, the way that, um, <clears throat> the, way that the product is considered in, in a whole life cycle sense, uh, we see it as being very influenced by German um, pa- paradigms. Uh, we all learn German as well, so that's, ah. that helps, um, that's only helps us to understand the way that German people think. Um, and we've we've taken influences here and there from um, from the German um, architecture, especially in Dresden, um, and the way that uh, the way that people have responded to traumatic and other events that have happened in in that city's um, coloured history in the last hundred years. Um, we also think of Dresden as a bit of a love letter to a particular time uh, and place in Dresden's history, just before uh, things went to pot in World War Two, when uh, you could almost say it was like the, the center of, of design and culture and craftsmanship. And there's this moment in time where it was a beautiful moment in time where all of that was flourishing mm. and then it was destroyed. Oh, that's so tragic. <clears throat> so we have this kind of melancholy that starts us down the path. And, and then the Australian sort of, yeah, it'll be all right, mate, attitude <laughs> comes in and, and we want to strike a hard bargain. Too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a meeting of cultures, I suppose. Mm. And you're very proud about the fact that you manufacture the glasses in Australia. And I noticed on your site you speak very loudly and highly of the various partners involved in the design and manufacturing process. 
Why is this transparency important to you? I don't know. I think it's it's a part of who we are. I think it's important because if we if we think about where we've come from as frustrated glasses wearers, <laughs> yeah. part of part of what makes the eyewear experience so frustrating to date is that a lot of it is hidden from view. Isn't that ironic? Mm, it's, yeah. It's it's all in a black box. You never really know where your frames come from. You don't really understand why the glasses cost what they do. Uh, the consultation is also bulk build, so it's a hidden cost. Mm. Um, there's many aspects of the eyewear industry that's that's really sort of um, held back from the consumer. So we found that really frustrating and confusing, in fact. So we thought, well, let's just be the opposite. You know, yeah. surely there's a better way. Um, and when it comes to manufacturing, it's just interesting. Don't you mm. think it's, it's it interesting to know interesting. where your things come from, where they're made? Who made them? Definitely. You know, who made my glasses? That's a fascinating thing. I think especially when you have a big brand slapped on the side, you know, the arm of a glass. Oh, gosh. And it might have been manufactured in China and breathed on by someone in Italy. And therefore it was was Italian made. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, this is is the great great horror story of modern eyewear. Mm. Um, So we, we think that there's a different way to do it. And actually, when it comes to the making of the company, I think there's a different way to do it. And this is inspired in part by Zeiss, uh, Carl Zeiss, the, the lens company that we, uh, that we work so closely with, okay. who has a very storied history and uh, are one of the pioneers of things like the eight-hour working week, a uh, working day, um, and the way that they treat their employees throughout times of hardship and prosperity. You know, one of these, one of these really, really old Mittelstand companies from, from Germany that make up the bulk of the GDP output uh, the companies that just take good care of their people, That's so cool. you know, it's almost like the, the company is made up of a family. Sometimes mm. they employ members of a family, you know, throughout the generations. Yeah. Um, they look to, they look to not just the bottom line financially, but also what kind of social impact they can have, mm. what kind of um, cultural impact they can have. And I think this is nothing if not inspiring for mm. a new company. You know, it's, it's sort of funny. We're less than two years old, or we're just over two years old, actually. And it's, it's so like uh, highfalutin to be thinking, well, in 100 years' time, Dresden will still be taking good care of its people and having uh, amazing eyewear, and we will have achieved our goal of cleaning up the environment. But if you don't have these big, hairy goals, what do you, what do you, what do you stand for? What are you aiming for? I completely agree. And I think if you don't start with this at the core of you know, the very fabric of the company, then it's going to be difficult to weave it in later, which is I think a lot of companies struggle with that because they've their purpose has been or their goal has been to profit, and then we'll think about those other things. But suddenly, it's it's not. When you start with something like uh, that kind of a philosophy, the transparency is just a byproduct. Mm. It's just a part of the way that you do things. Mm. And and when you talk about your customer who's holding you to task on these things, they want to see that kind of um, information about what's going on behind the scenes. And it's, it's quite nice as well because um, it actually allows a certain kind of collaboration with the customer, which is often something that big companies struggle to do uh, effectively without it being really cheesy. Like, mm. fill out our survey and you can win a new <laughs> yeah. iPod. You know, tell us what you think you, we, we should do. It's so, it's, so, uh, it's so bold, you know, mm. it's so obvious and easy to see. <laughs> Whereas for us, we say... <clears throat> What should the new material be for our glasses? Bring it in. Mm. We'll give it a go. 
cool. you know and it, it's really uh it's just a woven into the fabric of what we do and for fellow designers that must be interesting because they can come in and play around with oh some yeah concepts. And, and people who are interested in the maker movement you know we've had some people that have come in and they've made uh 3d printed molds uh, because we do we do have a, a facility uh, at Astor Industries in Lakemba that makes our, our our frames, but we also have a, a hot injection molding machine in the window of the shop. Cool. So uh, you know, if you if you are so inclined, you could make a mold and bring in some plastic and do some molding in store. Wow, I love that. And we've had we've had some yeah a good response from people who thought oh wow well what can what can I make you know mm. what it doesn't have to be glasses either it can be basically anything. So you can take uh, you can take your ideas and turn them around, and this is this is why uh, I think the three D printing technology is is sort of it's a double edged sword, or it has it has its swings and its roundabouts. Uh, for for a large scale production, it's not so great, but for small scale things where you're just trying to find if an idea will work, if mm. it will resonate with a <clears throat> if it will resonate with a, a customer base, it's fantastic and apparently it seems that you can actually mix the two you can use uh, 3d print technology to make molds which then get used in in uh, a molding machine to make parts so there's a there's a nice kind of handoff happening there i think when outsiders might look at dresden you know it's you said you're over two years things are going really well you've achieved a lot in a very short space of time i think it's tempting for outsiders to look at a business like dresden and think that it's easy I'm imagining that there have been challenges. <laughs> no, smooth sailing the whole way. What have been some challenges that you've faced along the way? I think about this quite a lot, actually. Um, <clears throat> when I look back on, on, the, um, on the success that we've had in the short term, you know, we are two years old, just over, and we've been open for business since July in 2015. So it's just coming up to a year. Um, and we have faced many challenges. But when I look back on them, the, the way forward seems like it was there in front of us. Um, and I so would, interesting. I'd never say that it was easy um, because we've done some pretty complex things. We've, done, we've overcome some pretty complex challenges. Um, but the attitude in the team is one of, um, uh, one of possibility. Um, often if there's a, a big earth-shattering problem, someone in the team will put their hand up and say, Okay, well, here's what I can do to help overcome that. Mm. Um, and there's 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 some real beauty to that. We we've got this team that has come together, as I said, all from outside the industry, and we all trust and share uh, the the responsibilities together. The way we've structured it has not um, has not been uh, the typical company. We don't have um, we're a small company, so take that with a grain of salt but uh, we don't have a sales team we don't have a manufacturing team we don't have a marketing team we don't have people that are sort of doing just their one functional role within the company Mm -hmm. we have a bit of a total football approach to it where you know the striker can be the defender and so Mm. on Um, so people who work in the shop will also do time in the factory and so on so we, we we share it around a lot and i think this is really pivotal for us because it means that if there is a problem with one area of the business, other people are familiar with the constraints and the processes involved in that area. And it's the knowledge gets shared more, more easily and solutions get found really quickly as a result. Uh, it's not the sort of thing that a year ago I would have forecast, to be mm-hmm. honest, you know, mm-hmm. being able to just have a team that's multi-skilled, really capable, 
love working with each other and can address challenges as they come. You know, it's, it's a really wonderful thing. And I don't, again, I don't have a way to prescribe this for mm. other companies or other other entrepreneurs. Um, but all I would say is that if you, if you show that you trust the team um, and you empower them to make decisions and to share this information with each other, um, it's remarkable what you can what you can achieve. To answer the question, however, um, one of the challenges that we face uh, in the in the manufacturing um, world is that Australia is very far away from everywhere else. Mm. So uh, you know we have some irritating supply constraints when it comes to uh, say if we want to find a new bio based plastic. You know, there's a company in Italy that has this amazing material that is it comes from a bio source, so it's not taking um, a, a petroleum source uh, oil-based plastic. Um, and we'd we'd love to be able to use it and trial it and mm. see if it works. And they won't return our emails. Oh, they won't return our phone calls. It, it's these sorts of little challenges where the or the minimum order quantity for ordering um, materials to trial is a ton or two tons mm. when we really only need say 100 kilos to right. just get the ball rolling yeah small things like this they they are irritations mm. and um and they do require some some patience mm. Mm. so the the remoteness of australia i think is is one of the things and it's i think it's related to the um the decline of the manufacturing sector here in australia which is a real shame because it means that in a sense, you're forced to offshore some of your um, some of your operations. It means you're forced to offshore some of the parts of the business, and we we, we fight very doggedly against that mm. um, because you know being able to just go down the road and, and make some frames is a real um, uh, liberty. Yeah, I think we do operate in a bit of a unique market here in Australia, given the size of our country, but the you know small population. Um, and the way we people tend to shop and looking overseas. What's your advice to other people looking to create a values-led business? Um, that alone is a, is a question, but particularly operating in the Australian market. Probably one of the most pivotal things for us was having found ourselves in the middle of a community of people who really cared and shared those values. If you were to take, um, if you were to start a new values-led company, in a community that couldn't give a crap about those values, <laughs> I think you'd find it hard to gain the momentum that you need in order to really um, push the ball forward. For instance, we launched ourselves at the Newtown Festival in 2014, and there were people who signed up on the day and purchased, like pre-order purchased glasses from us on the day that have still not picked up their glasses. Really? This is almost two years later. The people who saw what we were doing, believed in what we were doing, connected with the message and wanted to support us and and gave us money with nothing in return mm. you do you do not see this you know if you don't have those connections and so the community that provides the momentum that provides the um <clears throat> in a very real sense the the dollars that that prove that what you're doing is not crazy um that that really makes a difference so uh, i i can i can really highly encourage people to try and find find the community that really values what you're doing it may not it may not be in the same country mm -hmm. it may not be in the same suburb thanks to the internet we actually have the ability to reach a really broad um a really broad swath of uh of the global population so finding the people who are going to be your biggest fans is is my uh, number one piece of advice 
And how have you gone about finding and building that community? If your company stands for something and you actually do what you say you are doing, you know, you, you live up to the promise, mm. or at least you work, you work your butt off to try and live up to that promise, uh, people really connect with that. That's so cool. I think we've been trained to distrust corporations. We've been trained to distrust politicians and, and public figures. Uh, and often there's a bit of schadenfreude when someone gets revealed as, as being the, the yeah. fraudster that they really are. Uh, there's a lot of um, cynicism and, and mistrust. So I think if you just, if you, have, if you have a mission, if you have a position, a philosophy, if you have uh, a, a vision for what you want the world to be like and you commu- communicate that and you are ethical in the way you try and reach it and you think thoughtfully about what the world needs and you, you work on um, producing that, people flock to you. Mm. Let's finish up on looking towards the future. And so from what I've learned this morning, for you that could mean anything because you, you keep yourself open to it. But what are you looking forward to that you can imagine at the moment? One of the things that has been um, a bit dormant in the last six months is, is something that we're really, really excited about. And that is, uh, it's a trailer. Funny enough, it's a small thing. It's a trailer. Uh, we call it Anhanger, which is the word for trailer in German. Um, and it is basically a mini mobile optical shop. Wow. And this is interesting from a retail point of view, but it's also interesting from an optical eye health point of view. And essentially what this thing is, is it's a platform for bringing the eyewear um, the eye health, the whole experience to you. And you could be anywhere. You could be in the middle of nowhere. You could yeah. be in, uh, at the car park of Uluru. And we could be there helping you, A, find a funky pair of glasses, yeah. but B, doing some really you know, meaningful work in terms of uh, eye health. So this is, this is the next wave of, mm. of, um, of exciting uh, news with Dresden. Yeah, figuring so something out, you guys are looking to do is to take this trailer to to many more places that's right yeah so we have the trailer it exists uh it's really beautiful as well it was wow, designed by a friend of mine <laughs> yeah um alex symes he's an incredible architect um and of course you know parts of the trailer are from reclaimed timber and uh we've got some recycled polycarbonate cladding and it, it's a it's a gorgeous object but more importantly it's it's mobile mm. and we can take it you know into wild and wonderful places and uh and bring dresden to you this is something that is very close to my heart and uh, something that excites me greatly. Well, I can't wait to see that happen and congratulations on everything you've done. It's just such an amazing company and I really look forward to seeing you guys continue to grow and continue to be successful in all your visions and missions for this company. So thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, you can find more at wearemakedo.com.au. 